Please turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 6. We return to that chapter after a week away. Genesis chapter 6, a very, it's been such a blessing to me to look at this, uh, this passage this week. We've been looking at the, the darkness of the world, and it's, it's still here in Genesis chapter 6, just the, the description of the world as we're going to see it this morning. But to see this man of faith standing uh, in, uh, in right relationship with the Lord is such an encouragement to me. Uh, and I trust will be to us this morning. We read the, off, the account of the offspring of Cain. Then we read of the offspring of Adam, Seth, uh, and, and his line. And we pick up that descendant of Seth in the person of Noah. The title of the sermon changed a few times. And uh, the secretary got the, the, the old one in there. And that's okay faith in dark days, but I didn't want to focus on the darkness this morning. I want to focus on the obedient faith, right? That's, that's the title I want to use this morning, obedient faith. Um, as, as Noah shows this obedient faith, as he shows a, a, a right relationship with the Lord, walking with the Lord, a, a wonderful example of one whose vision of God is bigger uh, than his, uh, uh, his place in the world. He sees that God is at work helping us to transcend our difficult circumstances. I've been reading the the book uh, that I I borrowed from a member of the congregation on the Zanstra clan, and I I love the title of it, and and now I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh, uh, I I always knew that the Lord's hands were over me. And uh, many of you know about that book. And it's just a very interesting read to see all of the twists and the turns of that family and immigrating from the Netherlands and coming to, uh, to Indiana and then Montana and then Indiana and then Colorado and all over uh, and to see how the Lord uh, continued to, to lead. And, and we all have that, our own story of how the Lord leads, maybe not quite so many miles, but how, how the Lord is, is leading and how his hand is over us and, and that's the message that we share with our children. That's the message that we share uh, with, with those uh, around us, that God is, uh, uh, is with us. We don't pretend to be just floating above it all through, uh, through life and saying, well, we, we know the Lord Jesus, and so we just, we just kind of float. No, instead we take those trials and those tests and those difficulties, and we say, ah, but the Lord's hand is there. It's, his hand is over me. His hand is on me. Uh, as, as we live. And, and Noah is certainly a, a fine example to us of, of one who, who went through a very extended period of time uh, showing obedience to God with a rather strange command uh, to, to be a, a witness to the world, which is what we are to be as God's people. So let us give attention to the reading of God's Word as we'll read, starting in verse 9 of Genesis 6 and going all the way through chapter 7, to the end of chapter 7. This is the word of God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
make, your ark, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. So a length of about 510 feet, a width of about 85 feet, and a height of about 51 feet. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind and All the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increasingly increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the top or on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, more than 20 feet. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. 
He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, when we come into Genesis, we pretty much know the story, but imagine if we didn't know the story, imagine what we might be thinking. In the opening verses of chapter 6, I'll remind you, the Lord was, uh, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, verse 5. And so he said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. There's a preparation for a a, a just a, a, a great destruction of mankind. And yet then we read that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was one who was shown grace. How was he shown grace? Well, he was shown grace in that he was delivered, but he was shown grace in that he was warned of the coming judgment. We need to hear what we're saved from, don't we? We have to hear what it is that God is saving us from, the judgment that our sins deserve. And he hears about that as we're going to read and uh, or look at more this morning. But history records great people in, in, uh, uh, throughout the ages, and it records those who, who stand... Uh, for truth, who stand against a great immorality, a great uh, decay. We can think of biblical characters like Daniel and Esther who refuse uh, to ignore God's commands. We are inspired by their, by their, uh, their actions. Kelvin, John Kelvin says of Noah, it is a remarkable steadiness that Noah displays. For we know how difficult it is to live a holy life among the wicked and to avoid being led astray by their evil examples. It's so true, isn't it? It's so hard to swim against the current, to swim against the stream. And you certainly know that. We know that today where there seems to be such a, a push against God and against his word. When we lose the center, when we lose our, our, our foundation, it's hard for us to, to know how to, to stand. I was reading an article this week where uh, the author said that uh, when, when there is no truth, when there is no foundation, fad becomes dogma. And I thought that was an interesting way of describing it. That which is faddish, that which is, is purely a fad, not in keeping with anything real, but something that just is, is popular becomes dogma, it becomes something that, that we live our lives by. We're seeing that today where fad is becoming dogma. Well, Noah was no man of the fad. He was one who was committed to the truth. That's what it means there when it says that Noah was a righteous man. He was in right relationship to God. He was one who, was, who, who had a right relationship to God. That is an obedient relationship. He understood God's word and he wanted to live in light of his word no matter what. And he was one who was blameless. One who was blameless. That is, one who uh, 
did not uh, do this merely for, for show, but it was from his heart. The word has a, a sense of that which is from the heart. And, and we read that in the New Testament too, where Paul makes distinction between those who, who act religiously for show and those who act as the true people of God and do what they do from the heart. It's that cultivation of right relationship with the God from our hearts. We don't gather here simply to, to uh, uh, go through empty motions, but to be reminded again that we must be related to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And we need to have a right understanding of who God is and of what He has taught about us and how to be delivered from our sin. We have a phrase for this, uh, uh, for this idea of a compromise. It says, and the Romans get, get the short end of the stick here, but when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? We, we say that, that's a shorthand for, for, for just compromise. Well, Noah was not such a man. He was not going to live as the, uh, the peoples around him. He was one who, who stood against the world. Another uh, well-known figure in church history uh, is that of Athanasius. Athanasius was one in the early church, and he was, he was defending the truth of, of the Word of God against an increasingly mongrelized version of, of the Trinity, of, of, of God, a worldly view of God. And he stood before an emperor, and he stood before another emperor, and he, he would again and again stand for the truth. And the emperor uh, one, at one time said to him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And he made this statement, well, then Athanasius is against the world. A very courageous statement, a very, a very a, a powerful statement that he's remembered for today. Athanasius contra mundum. Well, we could say that Noah was the Athanasius of his day, to put it a little bit anachronistically. But he was one who spoke of the importance of obedience to God, one who displayed by his actions that he believed in the Lord and what he had to say. Noah was one who walked with God. We've seen that phrase just the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 and 24, where it says that Enoch walked with God. Let me read those verses again, verse 22 and verse 24. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Well, that phrase, walked with God, speaks of a, of a lifestyle, speaks of a, a way of living, that, that we are not just doing this, again, externally, but that we truly do believe God's word and it impacts everything that we do. The one who listens to God, the one who obeys God, finds the way to be delivered from death. In the person of Enoch, we see a rather abnormal path from physical death to be with God. He does not, he is, uh, it says in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Noah was that same character. He, that same, he had that same attitude. He was one who walked with God. We're not told that he walked with God to the exclusion of all the others. We know that there were other saints. We see the, the, the line of Seth there being mentioned before Noah. But we are we're to make, uh, take note of, of Noah as one who stood 
as it were, alone in the midst of a dark world, a type or a shadow of, of Christ who would come, the one who would come and be perfectly righteous and blameless. Indeed, God's wisdom for the world, his means of salvation, as Paul puts it, for Christ is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. We read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Noah is that one who walked with God in a very difficult time. We need to understand that. Our English translations do capture the original, verses 11 to 13. Did you hear the repetition there? Listen for that repetition again. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. That idea of corruption, the earth was corrupt, 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 filled with violence. Kelvin understood that word flesh to mean that the divine image had been so eradicated or so what was so hard to even see uh, that that it was it was hardly we could hardly say that they were they were bearing that image. They were fleshly. Lord says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. One of the One of the distinguishing characteristics of the people of God is that God warns them of what he is going to do. And they are responsible to then disseminate that word, to proclaim that word. You remember how God said that before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And shall we not tell Abraham what we are about to do? He says here to Noah, he comes to Noah and he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. God graciously tells us of judgment, coming judgment, that we might heed his voice and turn from the world and walk with him. Those who walk with God do not try to wed God to the world's way of thinking. Those who walk with God think his thoughts after him, repeat his words to their hearts, looking at the world from his perspective and taking actions according to his word. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So this this walking with God, this, this connection, this relationship we have with God is not something merely external, but it has to do with the very core of our being, walking with God. We see an interesting contrast to the description of the world. The world was corrupt corrupt, corrupt, but it says Noah obeyed, obeyed, obeyed. There's the steadfastness of those who are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, who seek to walk with their Lord and Savior to stand against the world. And not just for a short period of time. Moses, who is the author of Genesis, writes uh, on two occasions so we don't miss it. He says, and Noah was 600 years old when this happened. He says it there in, in, in verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And then verse 11 again. In the 600th year of Noah's life, this happened so that we don't miss it. That's something for us to take note of. 
We press on in faith to the ends of our lives. Noah doesn't get this command from the Lord and say, ah, I'm almost done. I'm just going to coast. Life is, I'm near the end. I'm, I'm good. He obeys in his 500s. It seems kind of weird to say, but in his 500s, not in his 50s or 60s, but in his 500s, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey the Lord. What a wonderful example for us, how he obeyed. And his actions are explained through his faith. He told others why he was doing what he was doing. God had told him to build the ark. And it says he was a herald of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, verse 5. He was the one telling others of, of the way to be right with God, of the way to be delivered. And Peter seems to be saying there in 2 Peter chapter 2. And Noah's faith is set before the world. And he says the only way of deliverance is through obedience to God. Listen to what Hebrews 11 verse 7 says of Noah. We've read it before, but it's worth uh, reminding ourselves what it, what it says. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He stood. He did not waver. We, we're to be those who are not saying, well, somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will teach them that. Someone else will show them that. No, God says, you in all humility are to be living as my examples on the earth. My witnesses on earth. He believed what God said in this, with these words. He believed being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He obeyed God's commands knowing that what was unseen would certainly come to pass and wanted, wanted his family to be delivered, wanted others to be delivered. How important it is for us to respond to God's gospel. He calls out to us and says, Believe me, a judgment is coming. And you must be found in my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be delivered from that judgment. There is no other way. Repent and believe. The world was condemned where it refused to believe Noah's words concerning the only means of God's salvation. When Jesus came, he declared that he was the only way to the Father. And God gave many opportunities for these people to hear and to believe. And he does so today, bearing patiently with our sins, calling us to live in light of the truth. This is an interesting thing for us to think about too. Noah was against the world because he was for the world. Noah spoke against what the world was doing, where it was putting its hope, where it was putting its, its, its love, its, its desire, because he was for the world. Because he said, if you continue to serve these things, if you continue to lay down your lives for these things, then you will not enter in to heaven. We speak against sin so that the sinner might hear and turn from sin. 
We give ourselves in service to the world according to our varied gifts, proclaiming that common message of salvation in our various places. We will not be saved through human industry or effort. Our problem is that sin separates us from God. It's not enough to have enough resources to beat back death. That seems to be the, the mentality of, a, of an advancing culture. They think, well, eventually we're going to figure this all out by our own means. No, we're not. Sin is what separates us from God, and death is the consequence of sin. God didn't call Noah to tell all the people, well, go out and build little boats because you're going to need them. He said, the ark, this is the only way to be delivered. And then that is a picture of that exclusive nature of the call of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved in no other way. The people of that day kept at their work. They continued to garden, to work at metalwork, to raise livestock and all of this. Was that wrong? No, it wasn't wrong. God calls us to take up our work that he has given us to do, to give our best effort. Indeed, that's one way that we witness in the way that we work, in the attitude we have, in the desire to serve. But in the midst of that effort, we remember that we are existing for God's glory, that he is holding us, his hand is over us. I always knew that the Lord's hand was over me. And we're preparing for that coming day when God will make all things new. We won't get there by working. We don't trust in our efforts to make heaven on earth. We look to God and to his Savior in faith as we serve. But we are engaged in the world. We're to look deeply and carefully into our work, thinking about what God's word says concerning the way we work and how we communicate to those around us. God is pleased by our quality work and service. He's pleased by our obedience. There is an effect of faith, however, and that is that it impacts the way we look at the world and how we look at others. I was thinking of William Wilberforce this week. He was the one who fought against uh, slavery in the British Empire throughout his whole life. He was one who was raised in a very wealthy home, and he was basically raised to be idle, to do nothing. They were, there was some pride in the fact that he didn't have to work. The, 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 the parents said, well, you're wealthy. You, don't, you shouldn't do anything. Don't get any dirt under your nails. And he found that rather... Uh, uh, comforting for a while, but he did find politics intriguing. And he thought, well, I, I don't want to just be known for being rich. I want to be known for being in a position of authority. So he ran for the parliament, and he won through his connections. His first number of years, he said, were do-nothing years. Basically, he said, These are my, this was my darling time to make a name for myself, that people would think much of my position in Parliament, though he hadn't done much of anything. But in 1786, he experienced a spiritual awakening and immediately gave up all forms of pleasure, all frivolity, and saw his life as a public life which God had assigned to him and became ser serious about serving the common good. And the issue of slavery came powerfully before him. 
He thought he could abolish it quickly. It ended up being a cause he was engaged in his whole life. He did not even see the final passage of the bill. He died before it happened. But what drove him in this passion and this desire is he began to see the world differently. You see, I want us to think about that example. What was it that he lived for initially? He lived for just pleasure. He lived initially for, for just uh, wanting a position, to be known for his position, his status. But as the Lord took hold of his life, he realized that he was to be not only for himself and disinterested in the world, but he was to be serving the Lord and for his neighbor, not seeing them as his enemy. Our understanding of God's word must lead us in that direction to lead us to believe uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and then to live according to what that word teaches, that standard, that we might know there's a solid foundation. We'll not likely be remembered for that. We will likely not be remembered like William Wilberforce or others in history. I thought of another example uh, this week. Does anyone know the name Pietje Bolthuis? Probably not. And yet that widow lady lived in the small town of Beest in the Netherlands. Still waiting to see some light bulbs go on here. And she was the one who, through conversation, converted Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper had gone through seminary, and he had learned a, a bunch of liberal theology. He was one who had uh, uh, found the, the miracles in the Bible, the supernatural, to be rather superstitious and not all that meaningful. And he came to that small church thinking, well, I'll just preach and get these people to see the world a bit more uh, uh, properly and, and so that they won't be, won't be seen as so, so kooky, so strange to believe in these things. And Pietje Baltos would not stand for it. She confronted him to preach the word, and she gave him many passages to look at, and she also gave him a copy of Calvin's Institutes. <laughs> When he read it, he said it was, it completely transformed the way he thought of the world and of, of, of his own way of, of seeing himself. And it led him into public service. It led him to, to serve in a new way. It led him to a to larger church and eventually uh, into, into politics. But you see, God's Word and His Spirit are, can do great and, and wonderful things. The Word of God is living and active, we read in 1 Peter chapter 4. And it, it needs to have that, that reality in us, that it does transform the way we think, and then, and then giving us purpose and, and reason for what we're doing as we think about how we can have impact. We may not be remembered, but we are to be those who have an obedient faith in dark days. What kind of apologetics did Noah employ? Well, we're not told. We don't, we don't read his apologetic system. I've not heard anyone write a book on, on Noah and his apologetics. But what is very interesting is that his life principle was set out in, this, in these few verses very clearly, and Noah did all that God commanded him, living 
out of right relationship with the Lord, trusting that the Lord would deliver him, than living a transformed life. Though the world stood against him. Though the world resisted him. I was thinking about asking the children this morning beforehand, but I I thought it might take too much time. What was Noah remembered for? Now, I'm guessing I probably would have gotten the answer, well, he built the ark. But the scriptures emphasize, and I want us all to understand, the scriptures emphasize Noah's faith. That he was one who lived for the Lord, who had a truly remarkable testimony And his testimony was this, the way is narrow, but the one who promises life is gracious. Therefore, entrust your whole life to him that you might know joy forever. May that be our testimony too. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think upon our day-to-day activities and we hear of individuals who stood up contra mundum against the world to speak truth and to stand for truth and to live in truth in a way that was, was not um, caustic or, or, or um, belligerent, but rather uh, in a way that showed a care and compassion, but also a determination to do what you commanded. Lord, may, may, we, may we want to do that, live in that way also. We thank you for your Son, in whom we find forgiveness. May that reflection upon that salvation that is ours in Christ lead us then to to be devoted to our work and uh, in all of our speech at break times and and at home and and uh, at the the athletic field. May it be that our speech and, and our actions show that we are committed to you to do what you have commanded and to show great joy in it. May we be of, of use to you as we serve faithfully through the work of your Spirit in us, we pray. Here as we pray, for Jesus' sake, amen.